He had a lot of time to think on his four-day journey, 130 kilometers on foot. He wasn't alone. He was on an official team, so there was discussion, probably a few laughs, but it was a serious mission, and so they pondered, they contemplated. A lot was at stake. Their whole way of life, their heritage, even their identity as a nation, was being challenged. The rules that had been established, the rules that he cared about, that he believed in so deeply, the rules that defined their way of life, the rules that he thought were from God himself, the rules were not only being ignored, they were being challenged, they were being questioned, even reinterpreted by one man. And this man was not someone that they could ignore. This man was causing confusion, disruption, and even worse, excitement. People were coming from all over just to see him, to listen to him. They were bringing sick people, and somehow he was able to heal them even as he was breaking established traditions. In our journey through Mark, we come to chapter 7, where sincere people like this are being sent to investigate Jesus. We've seen throughout the first six chapters that Jesus has become very popular. Wherever he goes, people gather around, crowds gather, because he does amazing things. He teaches with authority that they haven't heard before. He heals sick people. He casts out armies of demons. He calms storms. He treads on the waves of the sea. He, worst of all, to them, claims to be on par with God by forgiving sins, by calling himself Lord of the Sabbath. So the official Pharisees and teachers of the law in Jerusalem are concerned and they send this team to investigate Jesus. So let's read in chapter 7, starting with verse 1, and find out what happens. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. As we've already noted, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sent from Jerusalem, and it didn't take them long to find something that, they, that Jesus was doing that they were questioning, that this is not right. To us, eating food with unwashed hands is uh, not hygienic. It, it, we, we are afraid of germs. We're recognized that we might catch a cold or a flu or something like COVID. But to them, this, there's more going on than just hygiene and germs. It's interesting that in verses 3 and 4 that these are in parentheses because this notes that Mark is stepping out of just telling the story and he's becoming a narrator and he's telling about what's happening. He doesn't often do that. He just tells the story and let the leader, lets the reader figure it out. But Mark recognizes that the people that he's sent to, uh, that he's writing to, are, um, are not Jewish people. They're Gentile people. The majority of his audience is Gentile people who aren't familiar with the Jewish customs and traditions. And so 
they, like us, would wonder about this washing of hands that these, uh, that these Pharisees are so concerned about. So Mark explains that this hand washing is ceremonial. And it's not only hands that need to be washed, it's things like cups, pitchers, and kettles. Now the reason for this does stem from God's law. Leviticus 21 and 22, God uh, lays out the rules for priests and, and how they are to approach a holy God and become ceremonially clean. To, clean, to be clean and unclean, it didn't refer to hygiene or to germs the way it does to us, but to the preparation priests had to take to be ready to approach a holy God. Since God is holy, it's a dangerous thing for anything unholy to approach his presence. Therefore, priests would need to cleanse themselves through ceremonial washings, through animal sacrifice, and then they could approach his presence without being harmed. So part of the cleansing was washing. What's interesting is that the Old Testament gives the, these commands to priests as they approach God's presence on behalf of the people. It's not given to the general population. So the Old Testament does not command all Jews to wash their hands in this ceremonial way. But in verse 3, Mark says that the Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. So something has happened since God's commands in Leviticus and what's happening now where all Jews are expected to wash their hands in this ceremonial way. So let's look at verse 5. It says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands? So there's a phrase that's repeated there, the tradition of the elders. As you can see, the tradition of the elders had become very important to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And not only to them, but also to all the Jews, since it says that in verse 3, all the Jews go through this ceremonial washing. So what is this tradition of the elders? At my house, especially when the boys were a bit younger, I, one of the unwritten rules of the house that I spoke often was don't bug your mom while she's resting. Uh, my wife is, is quite ill and she needs to get a lot of rest throughout the day and so we needed to give her that time to do that. So imagine now this hypothetical, if I were to write it down and then I were to leave and they couldn't ask me, dad, can we go and talk to mom? They'd have to figure out how to obey that rule on their own. So it's written down, don't bug mom while you're sleeping. Sounds really easy, but when you start to think about the practice of it, okay, the door is shut, can we knock? Is that bugging mom? Can we open it quietly and take a peek and see if she's resting and then go in? What if there's something in the room that we need because a lot of stuff is in her room that, they, that we do? So they talk about it and they decide, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna in order to make sure we don't bug mom while she's sleeping, we're gonna say that the door can be open six inches but no further. We just leave it open a little bit so that we can peek in and see if she's resting and see if we can go in, but we don't want the noise from the rest of the house to get in. Well, imagine a little later, one of the boys goes and finds the door open eight inches. <gasps> Terrible, right? And they get after the other boy and, uh, and, and this rule that was supposed to stop 
them from bugging mom while she's sleeping has now become the standard. I think this is kind of what happened with the tradition of the elders. God's written law was so important to keep that in trying to keep it, they came up with practical ways to keep it as they tried to interpret it. And, and so these, these oral traditions were passed down and expanded upon and became more and more. And this became known as the tradition of the elders. So just like when one of my boys left the door open a little bit more than they should and they were judged by that standard, this is kind of what happened with the tradition of the elders. It became something that people were, were judged by. I hope that makes sense. So we have the disciples of Jesus. They're eating food that's, uh, without ceremonially washing their hands before they eat. And we have the teachers and the Pharisees looking and observing this and growing. Their anxiety is growing because they're not keeping the tradition of the elders. And to them, the tradition of the elders has become the standard. It's just as important as what the standard was based on. So they asked Jesus, why would you not keep the tradition of the elders and let your disciples eat food without ceremonially washing your hands? And Jesus, he lets them have it. Listen to what happens in verse 6. He replied, Jesus replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. Jesus is not happy with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He calls them hypocrites. This actually comes, uh, this word hypocrite means a stage player or an actor. It comes from the Greek uh, theater when actors would put a mask on and pose as someone else. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you're posing as people who love God. You're acting like someone you're not. And then he quotes from Isaiah 29. And this is a time when Isaiah the prophet was prophesying about the Israelites at a time when they were bringing their sacrifices to God. They were going through the motions of obeying the rules, but their hearts were far from actually obeying because they were letting things like injustice run rampant. They were, they were oppressing people. And so they were practicing the letter of the law, but they were ignoring the heart. I had three younger brothers growing up. There were many times when something like this happened, but I remember uh, my mom walking in as I was about to hit my younger brother. I, I, I imagine I wasn't going to hit him as hard as I could, but uh, she stopped it and she said, Jeff, you do not hit your brother. You need to apologize. Well, in my mind, I was not wrong because he had hit me first. She didn't see it. But, so I was really angry. I realized later that I shouldn't retaliate in, in, by hitting anyways. But at that moment, I was really angry and I was not sorry. And she said I had to say sorry. So I said sorry, but I wasn't sorry. Uh, I, I, you, well, you obviously know what I'm talking about. There wasn't heartfelt. There was no heart. There was no love. There was no sincerity. Isaiah was telling the Israelites that they were going through the motions of obedience, but there was actually no real obedience because it wasn't from the heart of love, that it was meant to be. God's law was based on love. 
and relationship. He always wants our heart. He wants our love and then the actions of obedience to flow through that love. The Israelites were doing the actions, but their heart was far from God in Isaiah 29. And now Jesus says to the Pharisees, you're doing the same thing. You're going through the motions. He's exposing their true intentions. They become just like the Israelites going through the motions, but they're just trying to check it off so that they keep all the rules when their heart isn't in the right place. It's not about love for them. The tradition of the elders, it developed in order to keep the law that they knew was so important, but it become more important than to the law, and obeying all these rules has become what they are held to, the standard that they keep, rather than the being true to the one true God and loving Almighty God. So, in verses 9 through 13, Jesus starts to explain, and he gives an example of how the tradition of the elders has become opposed to God's law. Verse 9, he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Notice Jesus is basically saying, here you have God's law, and here you have the traditions of the elders. They're not working together anymore. This is not enhancing this or helping this. As good as uh, your intentions were to uphold God's law, this has actually become opposed to God's law. And he explains with an example. So listen to this example, starting verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares what that what might have been used to help their father and mother is Corban, that is devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. All right, let me explain this a little bit. The Ten Commandments were built on this love relationship. I am the Lord your God. Give your heart to me. Don't don't worship anything else. Don't make graven images. All these commands that are based on love relationship. Keep the Sabbath because I want you to trust me. So the first four commandments are are this relationship that he wants the Israelites to have with him out of love. And then the the, the next six are about relationship with people and the first one about that relationship with each other was honor your father and your mother and this was one of the most intimate personal relationships a parent-child relationship and so he's commanded the children to honor their father and mother love your parents and this would include taking care of them as they got older it's extremely important to God because it's fleshing out what it means to love so on the one hand you have God's heart of love On the other hand, the tradition of the elders have this thing called Corbin. Devoted to God is what that means, this thing where where you can devote things to God. And this does stem from part of God's law. Leviticus 27, God gives special instructions to the Israelite people about how to make special vows to God. However, the intent of these special vows was not for people to dedicate something that could be used to help each other, It was out of the extra. It was something to give to God out of love for him. But the tradition of the elders, it allowed people to take what they would be using to help their parents, maybe they're holding a grudge against them or something, and to devote it to God so that when when they die, it goes to God. So it can't be used for anything else 
and, you know, because it's devoted to God. And so this idea of Corbin is in the tradition of the elders is like a loophole to avoid keeping the intent of God's law. They're kept from caring for their father and mother. The tradition of the elders, it began as a way to uphold this, has now actually become something that allows them to disobey this. It was becoming opposed to the very thing it was trying to protect. And Jesus points it out, gives a really concrete, specific example, and then he says, you do many things like this. He could have gone on and on with other examples, but he's proved his point. The tradition of the elders has become opposed to God's law. And instead of honoring and obeying God's law, they were honoring and obeying human tradition. So the main point so far in this passage in chapter seven is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they're looking for ways to implicate Jesus. They see an obvious breach of the tradition of the elders, which is very important to them, and Jesus exposes their hypocrisy. They're going through the actions of being religious. They they look like they're doing all the right things. They feel justified before God that they're doing all the, the rules, they're obeying them. But in fact, they're actually really far from true obedience, the obedience that God wanted. So they're obeying man-made rules that are actually opposed to God's law because God's law is based on the heart of love and obedience that flows from that love. So let's see what happens next. Verse 14. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and he said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Now remember, the Pharisees were really concerned about this ceremonial washing because the tradition of the elders had said that Jews must wash their hands, be ceremonially clean in case you've touched anything undefiled and become undefiled. Here, Jesus comes back to this idea and he says, it's not what you put into your mouth that makes you defiled. It's not, you're not gonna become unholy because of something you're putting in. It's important to note that he's writing to Gentile people, people that are not familiar with these Jewish traditions. And in the Jewish tradition, actually in God's law, there's this thing about clean and unclean foods. They were to be set apart. They were to be different from the other nations and they were to only eat things that were kosher, that were clean. But when Jesus came, he came to fulfill the Old Testament law to do what couldn't be done by the people. And when he fulfilled the law, some of the commands were no longer necessary. Things like ceremonially washing your hands to approach God's presence and things like food that were set you apart as clean or unclean, these were no longer necessary because Jesus fulfilled the law. He took care of those things and now we can approach God on his merit, not on making sure that we're cleansed through all these ceremonial rituals. Another requirement of the law was these foods and uh, Mark makes a note here that when Jesus said these words, 
He was now declaring that all foods were clean because of what Jesus had done with his death and resurrection. But the really important point that Jesus is making is that it's not what you put into your mouth that defiles you. Now, I wanna make a note that this is about what you're putting into your mouth. It's not what you put into your eyes or what you engage with. There are inappropriate things that do affect our hearts. But food, he was declaring, it's not washing your hands, it's not something you touch, it's not that stuff that makes you unclean. It's what comes out of a person that defiles them. So let's read verses 20 to 23 to see what that means. He went on, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The main point here is that what defiles a person, what makes a person unclean, what makes a person unholy, is not something that can be avoided. It's not something that can be washed away through ritual cleansing. It's not something that can be avoided by only eating the right things. A person is not clean until made unclean by touching something unclean. We can't keep ourselves holy by observing all the rules and traditions. This is how the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the law thought and believed and acted and taught They promoted this idea that being right before God, being clean, being undefiled, being holy, was something that you could do by keeping all the rules. Jesus is exposing this error in their thinking, in their believing, in their acting. What Jesus reveals here is that people, humans, all of us, we're unclean because of sinfulness inside of us. We're all tainted by sinfulness at our core. The evils listed here are evils, uh, thoughts, and actions that leaves nobody out. Every person, except for Jesus, who has ever lived, has been infected by something on this list. So if we stop and ponder the significance of this, in light of the question that if you've been walking with us, Mark has been presenting to the readers again and again and again, He wants us to wrestle with this question. Who do you say Jesus is? Here's all that he's done. Here's what what happened. Here's what he taught. Who do you say Jesus is? We can begin to realize that he's the answer to the human problem. The human problem is not that we don't keep all the rules. The human problem is that we are sinful at our core and we can't do anything about it, but he can Only Jesus can cleanse us. And he's building this covenant community of people who are cleansed because they put their faith in him. Who do you say Jesus is? This passage, it exposes the depth of our problem and our urgent need that we all have for him to cleanse us through his death and his resurrection. He died with the weight of sin that that we all have at our core upon himself. He was buried with our sin. He suffered the infinite cost of pain that it deserves. 
and he left it in the grave and he rose victorious over it. And his gift to us, if we choose to accept it, is his forgiveness, his holiness that we do not deserve but he offers to us. He and only he can make us clean. We cannot keep all the rules. We're not good enough. We're not able to. We can't be good enough. We can only accept the gift that he offers and put our trust in his goodness, his holiness, and his power to transform and cleanse us and make us new. There's an invitation to every one of us, as there always is this morning. For some of us, the invitation is to recognize your desperate desperate need for Jesus, maybe for the first time. And you can ask him, even now, to forgive you. And you can give your life to him and trust in him and his holiness and be clean. For others of us, the invitation is to ponder the depth of our sinfulness. Not in a woe is me type of way, but just recognize, I am really unclean at my very core. And then we can praise and thank Jesus for how amazing it is that he takes that and cleans us on his merit. And we can ask the Holy Spirit to make us to be more like Jesus. For some of us, maybe God's impressing a person on you or people. People who need to be loved, who need to be listened to, who need to be heard, and you need to be invited to know Jesus. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? How will you say yes to Jesus? Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you recognize our core problem and you don't just destroy us and start over, but you rescue us. And you rescue us at the cost of your son. Jesus, you came and suffered for us. God, we, we, as much as we think about this, ponder this, we never really understand how amazing this is. Help us to ponder it. Help us to delight in you. Help us to recognize who you really are Expose the ways that we have become like the religious leaders who, who have wrong thinking about you. And help us to recognize the beauty of your love, your holiness, your gift to us. And so just guide us in all these things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.